Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen. I need to do a huge shout out to those of you supporting the podcast over on Patreon. I literally can't do this without your help, so thank you so much. If you've been thinking about supporting, now is definitely the time. We've got some amazing things planned for the future that can't be done without your help. You can help by contributing as little as $1 a month. $5 a month gets you some bonus episodes and some other perks. I'm trying to make more and more perks available every day. Support today by visiting patreon.com slash fstop and listen. This is Matt's 10-year-old son, Quinn, introducing this week's guest, my dad. He was interviewed by the ultra-cool, cool Gary Randall. So kick back, relax, and enjoy the show. All right. Hello, everybody. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me here. Hello, everybody. Welcome to F-Stop, Listen and Collaborate. And this issue here is going to be our own Matt Payne under fire. (laughs) (laughs) Tell you what, Matt, you're pretty brave to do this. Um, I'm not going to lie. When you suggested it, I was like, you know what? That actually sounds kind of fun. Let's do it. All right, cool. Well, I think everybody would be glad to hear from you. You know, we've we've got a little bit of uh, some nuggets throughout all of your podcasts where we kind of gotten to know you, but I think having you all in one place would be kind of cool. So I like it. <laughs> yeah, so I appreciate you doing this. Some of the guys uh, or some of the folks, I shouldn't say guys, some of the folks um, uh, on Facebook when I announced this uh, kind of shot me some questions. So some awesome. of these are mine. Some of these are us from some other people. So. Cool. You may guess who some of them might be from. So <laughs> it's all good. I I purposely uh, didn't memorize any of the questions so that I could uh, be as stumped as possible. Right on. Well, good. <laughs> be a good actor, otherwise, right? Exactly. Ah, all right, man. First thing I wanted to do is just kind of get into kind of getting to know you. You know, not too personal, but let's just find out who you are. You know, like where did you grow up? All right. Well, um, I am 39 and a half years old. Um, I turned 40 this year. So, um, you know, that comes with all kinds of interesting midlife crises, sort of, I guess you could say. (laughs) Um, I have all these goals that I want to accomplish before December when I turn 40. So I've been really busy trying to accomplish those goals. Um, I was originally born in Boulder, Colorado. Um, I grew up in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Um, my stepdad adopted me when I was five years old. And uh, basically, um, my parents raised me at a very early age to have an appreciation of nature. Um, I climbed my first uh, 13,000 foot mountain when I was four years old. And um, my parents didn't have a lot of money growing up, so we spent all of our free time on the weekends in the summertime going camping and climbing mountains and hiking. And I think I had about 20 14ers climb before I was 10 years old. <laughs> wow. Um, I was going to say they did a good job raising you, buddy. Uh, my, my mom's probably listening, so you can we can thank her for that and my, my stepdad, obviously. Um, right on. <laughs> but turned out to be a, a, a beautiful human being so oh yeah. thanks man um yeah. i'm sure there's people out there that would disagree but that's fine well um, i know what you, i know what you're saying <laughs> you, can't li- you can't live your life be honest and not piss somebody off so exactly <laughs> um 
let's see. I... How long have you been a serious photographer, man? I mean, you know, you're you're climbing mountains by ten years old and stuff like that. But you obviously had uh, climbing and the outdoors more of a uh, priority than you did photography at that point. For sure. And, um, you know, it's funny when I was really little, like when my parents, um, we'd be driving to the camping areas and the valleys and the mountains that we'd be go climbing. And, um, they would always give me the map and I was, I became seriously like fascinated with maps and navigating. And like, I think I knew how to read a topo map before I was like seven years old. Like I just obsessed over topographic maps and um, pretty early on, my parents, um, gave me a, like one of those Kodak disc cameras. Um, mm. they have like, I don't know, like 20 photos on them or something like that. Sure. And they're on a, they're on like a single wheel, like a disc wheel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, I remember. <laughs> and of course, That's awesome. I used to, you know, run out and take pictures of all kinds of stupid stuff, like trees and the sun and clouds and just, you know, things in nature that I thought looked cool rocks. I remember you know, back, <laughs> back then when you were shooting that camera, did you have in mind that you had a limited amount of photos and, and did that kind of affect the photos that you took? For I'm sure. Curious, for sure. I know, mean, because I kind of did. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, but you know, I was a kid too. So like I didn't have <laughs> right. a lot of self-control either. So I got to learn that uh, limitation kind of through trial and error. Like, Oh, I'm out of film. That sucks. Yeah, um, right. But I remember, um, I, I remember like it was yesterday, I, one of my, my very first uh, 14er, which if you're not from Colorado, 14er is what we call a 14,000 foot mountain. So it's, there's 53 um, 14,000 foot mountains in Colorado. Um, it's a very target rich environment if you like mountains. And uh, I remember though, my very first 14er when I was six, um, it was, uh, it's called Mount Sherman. And uh it, it, the trail kind of takes you through like all these old mines and like all these old, like, you know, fake, like pirate, pirate gold, like pyrite and stuff like that. And I remember we were like a quarter mile up the trail and both of my pockets were full of rocks. I thought they were so cool looking. So I've always had an obsession with uh, nature and, um, you know, I guess I just translated pretty easily into the photography thing. I didn't actually buy an um, actual digital camera until 2000. Mm-hmm. It was a Sony DSC 828, which was at the time a 8 megapixel um, camera with a fixed Zeiss 8 to 200 millimeter lens. And uh, mm-hmm. I shot it in auto like all the time. That's all I shot in was auto. So if you look at my very first panoramas, they look really hideous because every exposure was a different uh, shutter speed because the camera was determining it. So (laughs) it looks just so really just wrong. Um, That's awesome. But I I originally got into it because I wanted to document all of my mountain climbs. Um, So back in 2007, right after my son was born, I decided I wanted to finished climbing the highest hundred mountains in Colorado. And I wanted to um, take pictures of that journey and, and blog about it. Um, Mm -hmm. So I shortly thereafter uh, started my first website for mountaineering, which was 100 summits.com. And I would just uh, blog about my mountain climbs and show people the pictures I would take from the tops of the mountains and 
you know, I didn't know what the hell I was doing at all. Like I didn't have any concept of shutter speed or exposure or composition or anything. I was just taking pictures of stuff that I thought looked pretty. And uh, probably in 2010, I realized that I wanted to do a lot more with my camera than I was capable of doing. Mm -hmm. And so I convinced my wife um, to let me buy a Nikon uh, D7000. <laughs> cool. And uh, I, How much you know, convincing we, did it take? <laughs> you know, like she was pretty supportive of it because she saw how oh. much I was getting into um, taking pictures. And, Sweet. Um, it was a much healthier hobby than I was um, into before that. I was super into uh, World of Warcraft. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> uh, for like for like five years. like So I gained a bunch of weight, and all I did was play on the computer like until like yeah. 2 or 3 in the morning. Thankfully, so, I dodged that bullet. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely, you know, not to talk much about that, but I will say one good thing about massively multiplayer online role-playing games is that um, they do teach you a lot about communication and uh, leadership skills. That's true. You, you have to coordinate a lot, especially when the, those those battlefield games. You know, yes. when you've got a team over there. I know. I you know what I learned when I was playing those games is how to die gracefully. <laughs> oh, I did. I was of that. I was cannon fodder. I think so. <laughs> Absolutely. So cool. All right, man. Well, cool. Well. Uh, then, you know, my, my background kind of was the same way when I first picked up my camera. I, sh I should have said the second time I picked up my camera, actually, I was going out on backpacking hikes and trips into southern Utah and completely amazed. And I just couldn't describe it to people. I had to come back with some photos. So yeah. that's what got me back into it, too. So, yeah. cool. So the 14ers, uh, the... Um, uh, your buddy Kane wanted to know. <laughs> uh, uh, he was like, um, he was wanting to know uh, about uh, Ice Mountain and Thunder Pyramid. Those are thirteeners, right? They now, are. Can, can a thirteener be more difficult, of course, than a fourteener? Or? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think the gist of his question is that uh, if, if you're going to finally man, man up and climb Ice Mountain or Thunder Pyramid, so I'm assuming these are really difficult. <laughs> more vertical mountains right um yeah so uh truth be told so i have climbed 95 of the highest 100 mountains in colorado um yeah. 53 of which are 14ers um so yeah. i have five to go and they're all 13ers um ice mountain and thunder pyramid um are probably the two hardest i have left nice. um but i will say definitively that they're not the hardest in that list of 100 um, I've done, I've also done Vestal Peak and I did Jagged Mountain last year. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, I've also done Gladstone and I've done, uh, uh, Dallas. So, and Tea Kettle. So those are all roped, not all of them, but many of those are roped climbs and require wow. actual mountaineering skills. Not that I have any, but, uh, uh, but yeah, Thunder Pyramid is definitely legit. Um, there's been definitely been people that have died on it. And yeah. so, you know, that's partially why I want to get that one knocked out this year because I'm not getting any younger. And uh, I'm actually saving relate. I'm actually saving that one for last. So that's going to be number 100. So, oh, right um, so if I die on it, that will be kind of like an epic tragedy, you know, like <clears throat> it's my uh, 100th mountain of 100 and I, and I die. That'd be kind of ironic. I hear you, but 
<laughs> try not to. I mean, <laughs> your best not to, but it would be an epic way to die. You know, I always think of that, you know, I tell people, well, having your entrails spread out in a field in Alaska by a grizzly bear, you know, sounds terrible, but it's probably better than other deaths you could do. So yeah, I think I'd rather, in a hospital or something. I'd rather die that way than like some long run out <laughs> battle with cancer or something. Yeah, exactly. I feel the same way. So, so I guess he's, uh, he says he hasn't seen you wear your helmet lately. And he, I think he's concerned you're getting soft. He wants you to make sure you <laughs> complete your, your golf of the hundred peaks. Right. Oh, well, that's fair. Uh, but if you look at, <laughs> if you go to my, my original website, uh, and you look at my old trip reports for any of those harder mountains, you'll see how I wear a helmet every time. So yeah, on any of the harder mountains, I do for sure. So yeah, I'm sure I've seen some awesome epic pictures of you, man. It's awesome. I wish I had a beard like yours. <laughs> Thanks, man. Uh, you know, it's funny. They have a beard competition here in Durango every winter. So the, the two years that I've lived here over the winter, I've have competed in it. Um, and I got honorable mention one year, so that was kind of cool. Uh, it looks like all you got to do is just like grit your teeth and just bear down, and the whiskers will squeeze out of your face, man. Uh, I mean, it feels like that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you could be like me and just have like a tumbleweed stuck to your chin, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So um, your uh, background is in clinical psychology. It is. And uh, I'm not sure a lot of people know that. But um, does uh, getting more into the podcast now? Does does your background does that have any any kind of uh, has it helped you explore any of the subject matter and the people that you you interview, or do you apply anything that you learned in the past to anything you're using now or you're doing now? I should say. <clears throat> yeah, um, definitely. Um, I think you know. I think anyone who's listened to the podcast can tell that um, I'm not exactly the world's most proficient public speaker. I use a lot of ums and uhs and, you know, that's just the way I talk and I try to edit it out sometimes. But, uh, you know, I I make up for it in the fact that I I have had training in um, interviewing people from more of a um, psychological perspective. And uh, and I, I guess... The biggest, um, the, the biggest way that I've been able to leverage it is um, by using active listening skills. So, you know, by mm-hmm. really listening to what people are telling me, um, I'm able to kind of dig a little bit deeper and ask slightly different questions or try to root out a little bit more out of the person, sure. which, you know, from experience is kind of difficult over um, just sound only because I, do I don't do this over Skype. It's all over just Zencaster. So you don't see other people's facial expressions or body, body uh, language or any of that stuff. So um, you definitely have to pay more attention to, you know, voice inflection and try to try to really understand where people are coming from. And that, that can be very tough with some people on the podcast because, um, you know, people are shy and you you can't, the hard part is like, you can't see their body language and you can't, you don't always know if like they're done talking or if like they're ready to move on to another subject or, or what's going on there. So, um, yeah, definitely it has helped me, but, uh, um, I don't know. I think anyone who's listened to the podcast for any length of time has hopefully noticed, uh, at least a slight improvement over time. (laughs) Well, I know I have, but, uh, anything's going to improve it with a little bit of practice. 
you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, I know how your, um, your guests can feel. It's kind of, you can be a little nervous on, you know, being interviewed. Oh, for sure. You know, for sure. So, yeah. So, uh, how about your uh, work and family balance? A lot of people are curious about how that works. I think this is something that a lot of people try their best to do. And I know everybody's situation is, is different. You know, I know some folks have children and they have uh, spouses that have a career and, you know, and some of us are just, you know, kind of beyond that kind of, you know, and so a lot of people really are challenged to try to maintain a balance of family and still pursue what could be what they could feel to be a more of a selfish pursuit or their, you know, being their hobby and in photography. And I'm not really talking about people that are making a living or anything. I'm talking about people that are doing their best to try to, you know, do this as much as possible. It makes, Mm -hmm. takes quite a commitment to be a landscape photographer. Uh, Effectively, you have to be able to put yourself out there a lot and be able to get those conditions and you have to be able to travel sometimes and stuff. So I know it can be a little bit difficult is this something that you're challenged with or are you able to give anybody some advice in this or perhaps you're trying to get some advice from some of your, your <laughs> people or what, where do you stand on, on, on it? And if this is too personal, you know, you don't No, it's no, there's nothing too personal for me. I'm a pretty open book. So, um, you know, it's, it's always a great conversation, um, to talk about, uh, family balance, especially with a hobby as demanding as landscape photography. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely something I've always struggled with. And, um, I don't know, we talked a little bit earlier about my friend Kane. Um, you know, he, he and I came come from a very similar background where we were, we were mountain climbers first. And, uh, when you are trying to check off a list of mountains that you want to try to climb, that's actually, um, extremely demanding because you're basically giving up every weekend for three months at a time. Um, to get out and climb those peaks. Mm -hmm. And it takes, I guess, I'm going to answer your questions kind of in reverse a little bit. The advice I would give people um, is to make sure that you have a very solid uh, relationship with your significant other and your family and your spouse and that you talk about it and that you come to some agreements about what's fair because – if I didn't have such an understanding uh, spouse um, who supported me, especially through the years where I was uh, trying to finish all the 14ers, where I was gone every weekend for every month of the summer, um, you know, it wouldn't have been possible to achieve that goal and have a successful um, relationship and marriage um, and have a good relationship with your kids. So I think it's all about communication and um if you, if you can tell that it's, you're pushing too far, like don't, don't take, you know, say, mm-hmm. you know, you know, it's, it looks like no um, limits, right? Know the limits. Yeah. 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 Know the limits. Like if you know that it's, you're pushing it too far, like take a break, uh, maybe the next weekend or the weekend or like two couple weekends in a row, like maybe you need to just do a date night or sure. maybe you need to focus more on your family because your family is going to be around forever and your photography and your other hobbies might not. So well, I'll tell um, you what I've seen, I've seen people with obligatory careers that have um, taken so much time from their families that it's ruined their families. And so, sure. you know, at least with 
photography in certain most situations a person has a choice to be able to do that so yeah well and i will say um you know it's kind of comparing uh where i was at before the podcast you know i was mostly a weekend warrior when it came to photography Mm -hmm. um i would have some occasional trips planned with friends or whatever you know like maybe a fall colors trip for three or four nights maybe maybe like a trip down to the southwest for a couple of nights but for the most part i would only go out and take shots on the weekend when it looked good and you know, it was convenient and there wasn't any conflicts and things like that. Well, you were working hard during the week, weren't you? Oh, for sure. I've I've had a full-time job with the exception of January of this year. I've had a full-time job ever since I graduated from graduate right. school. So, yeah, You shouldn't um, be so employable. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but I will say like uh, the podcast has definitely been a lot, of, a lot more – demanding on my time than people probably think. Um, you know, it's, it, you know, you just hear like the hour segment once a week, but, uh, to, to keep it running every single week with a new commitment, it really does. I admire that. I really do. Cause you have to commit to it and you have to do it. Otherwise it'll fade away. But you know, I think you're doing it right. And if you can stick with this, it's, it's going to, it's going to do well for you. It's, It's doing well for you. Yeah, as far and, as I'm concerned, and um, it's funny. Um, I, I'm, I'm guessing you're going to ask some questions about this later. But um, when I first started this project for the podcast, I really didn't have any specific goals in mind. It just seemed like I kind of, had, you know, mentally thought through the podcast idea and like sure. what it could do yeah. for me, and like, um, I just well, it just made a lot of sense. Now you, I know you had a, a little bit of a, a blip in your employment this last year, right? I did. Did, I was, did that? Did that throw you off a little bit? And did that change the way you look at what you're doing with the podcast? Podcast at all? Um. Well, truthfully, it definitely. Um, I don't know. I was laid off. I would. I did not see it coming at all, yeah. and uh, there was no warning or anything. It definitely. Um, made me think long and hard about a lot of stuff, including uh, uh, what I want to do next. Like, do I want it? Do I want to put all my energy and focus into the podcast and photography? Do I want to lead workshops? Do I want to try to open a gallery? Like what, like I was trying to evaluate all these different options and tell you what, when that something similar happened to me in my career, and when that happened, it made me realize just how little that my employer really cared about me and how <laughs> precarious my situation was. And I really was really disillusioned. And that really was one of the things that convinced me that I needed to pursue my own situation. Sure. Did you have that thought at all? Um, I definitely did because um, the way in which I was let go was um, – it was really unfortunate, like – none of the people I worked with um, thought it was a good decision from right. the um, executive leadership team. Um, sure. There was a lot of people that were very surprised. They obviously hadn't really taken into account um, like merit. Like I was, I had always had very good and high, like great reviews and sure. everyone liked the work I was doing. And it was just like, a, it was almost like they picked a random person <laughs> Um, which was, was the way it felt. I'm sure there was a little bit more thought to it, but yeah, I I felt super discounted and 
And you know, when you get to that place in your life, um, I think you start to evaluate what's important and you start to reevaluate um, what it is you want to do with your life, with your life and how you want to spend your time. Right. Um, on the flip side of that, I also mostly through having conversations on the podcast, um, I had realized like if you're become like becoming a full-time photographer is much, 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 much harder than people think it is. Um, mm -hmm. and it's a lot less glamorous than people think it is. I think, <laughs> um, I think people spend a lot more time in the things they would rather not be doing as a photographer sure. when you go full-time and, right. um, not that that was a huge turnoff for me per se, but I, I, I did not have the confidence in myself to, to, um, to take that leap of faith and to push for that mostly mm -hmm. because, you know, when you have a wife and a kid and a mortgage, like right. that, it's just so much stress yeah. and you don't want to risk it even further with a sure. endeavor that has, this is my perspective. Like, I didn't want to take an unnecessary risk. So, well, in, in my life, and uh, I got to that situation. Um, my friend Bruce had the the best quote that I could ever apply to my situation at that point in my life. He said, "Fortunately, something went terribly wrong," <laughs> because I kind of ha got to a point where I really didn't have a whole lot, and I was able to just kind of start start over with nothing. It's just the obligation sometimes that people have a lot of times will keep them from uh, making some decisions that will send them off into a better place, you know. For so sure, for sure. I tell people to try to live as simple as possible, you know. Mm -hmm. and it gives you more options in your life. So <clears throat> what was your motivation to start the podcast? Um, you know, it's funny. I um, When I first got into photography, I, um, I had – like an insatiable thirst um, for knowledge mm -hmm. and to hear about how other people were doing photography. And I, I really wanted to learn as much as I could from as many people as possible. And I, I'd found a couple of podcasts that sort of touched it um, way back then. There was only a, a few podcasts around that were even photography related. Um, so let me get this straight. The rest of us go to YouTube and listen to YouTube videos. No, <laughs> you call these people up and go, Hey man, it, just tell me what you're doing, you know, and just call them right up and get them on your show. Well, I mean, cause I'll tell you, you've got some, you've had, you've interviewed some amazing world class photographers on your, your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's been it's been exciting. And, um, I've, I've actually, you know, when I first started, I sat down and I made a list of all the people that, um, came to my mind immediately that I wanted to have on the podcast. Yeah. And, um, I would say probably 70%, 80% of the people that I've reached out to on that list have either been on the podcast or have expressed interest on becoming, being on the podcast. Um, I've just been really lucky, I guess, that people like the idea of, of, of this medium, but, uh, mm -hmm. To, to kind of get back to your original question of why I started the podcast, I felt like I felt like there was a, a void in, in, in this space of, um, of, of, of getting to know, I guess, you know, in our world of landscape photography, we think of all these people as famous, right? Like um, who, the people you look up to photographically speaking, like, you know, normal people look up to like actors and musicians and stuff like that. But it, those of us in landscape photography, I think we look up to other photographers and 
put them on a pedestal and and I wanted a way to like I, make those people more accessible on a human level um, sure. and really just get to know them and kind of understand their motivations and who they are as a person and um, hopefully through that process uh, learn something a little bit deeper than what you could learn on a tutorial or a blog post or a YouTube video. Um, I feel like, um, and, and kind of how I arrived at that point was, you know, I, I'd go out on these photo trips with people that I highly admired, like Kane, like we talked about earlier and, mm-hmm. um, other photographers, um, cause I've never taken workshops. So I like, I don't know that experience, but, right. Um, I've been out, nor, nor, nor have I, <laughs> Yeah, but I've been, but I've been out taking pictures with other great photographers and, and I'm sure everyone who's listening has kind of had a similar experience where like you kind of get to know the person and you have these like really great conversations that, you know, you talk about gear and you talk about skills and techniques and things like that, but you go deeper when you're in person and like when you're riding in the car to a destination and you, when you have that shared bonding experience with someone at that level. Like I feel like it makes the experience that more meaningful. It does. And I wanted, absolutely. I wanted to bring that uh, to other people, I guess. <laughs> cool. Well, how has this project of yours changed your views on, uh, and landscape photography? And let me, I've got a, a short little list here. Okay. Landscape <laughs> photography in general, uh, artistic expression, um, and uh, basically those two, let's just address those two right now, because those are more into uh, how you approach your landscape photography and how you express yourself artistically through your landscape photography. How has this all changed after you've interviewed all these people? And uh, just to clarify, do you mean like for me personally, how have I changed? Yes. Okay. Well, yeah. How's your outlook or how has your work or how yeah. you know, how's okay. this, how's this all culminated into uh, some sort of tangible situation for you? Man, well, I'm glad you asked that question because it's been it's I'm going to be honest, like it's actually been uh, equally um, inspiring and like one part inspiring and one part um, like uh, it's almost like an existential crisis. <laughs> like, cause you interview these amazing photographers and you have these amazing conversations with them and you learn all these different, um, viewpoints on the world. And in order to make that pod- the podcast work, you kind of have to be open to their viewpoint and take mm-hmm. it in. You, I don't know. And whenever you do that, you, you start to absorb a little bit about, about their perspective and make it part of your own perspective a little bit sometimes. And, and it's really, uh, Gosh, I mean, it's funny. I had uh, Aaron Babnick on episode two, I think. Mm-hmm. And then I had Alex Nail on like almost a year later or half a year later, who have mm-hmm. very diametrically opposed views on, you know, processing and um, artistic expression. And and I've been I've really struggled with uh that influence on my own thoughts and beliefs and approach to the, to the craft, because um, I used to be kind of of the viewpoint, like who cares? Anything goes, it's our, it's artistic expression. Just do whatever mm-hmm. you want, which I think is a very freeing and a very um, uh, just makes, you know, the sky's the limit and you can basically do whatever you want. Giant moons and balloons and yeah, whatever, right. Whatever speaks right, yeah. to you artistically, just do it. Right. And, yeah. uh, but then having uh, conversations with other people 
um, over the last year and a half. Um, I just, it's not that simple. I feel, I feel like, and so I've really struggled with that, um, that tug of war in my mind about, um, artistic expression, the state of landscape photography, and then being true to what I personally, as an artist believe in. And, uh, I guess if, if there's any takeaway from all that, uh, it's that, uh, you really just need to figure out where you fall on that continuum and be true to it. Um, mm -hmm. and don't, um, don't be defensive about it. Like, um, if people disagree with it, it's not like a personal attack. Um, mm -hmm. but also be open to other people's perspective. Like it's person, it's perfectly reasonable for other people to, um, be super purist in their approach. And it's perfectly reasonable for people to, um, take a more digital manipulation artistic approach. I think there's room out there for all of it. I just think you have sure. to be comfortable in your own skin um, mm -hmm. with what that means and where that, what that means for you as an artist and, and own it. Right. And own it. And I think also yeah. you need to have considered like, um, is there any impact on the craft itself or the culture of photography or this art form that could be influenced or impacted in a negative fashion mm -hmm. by, by what I am owning as a artist. And right. I think if you can answer that question, uh, honestly with a no, um, and have thoughtfully considered it, then I think it's fine, yeah. but it's, it's yeah. definitely through the podcast. It's definitely forced me to ask myself some really interesting questions that I didn't necessarily like the answer to. <laughs> yeah. Those are kind of, uh, uh, maybe you could consider them ethical or something other than uh, um, how, and I understand that because I, I, you and I discussed that when you and I talked, sure. you know, but uh, how about how has it affected um, your work? Has your processes changed <laughs> in how you apply what you do? Man. I mean, because cause what you, what you explained was kind of how you accept other people's work. Yeah, 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 yeah. How has how has it manifested itself into what you do? Well, I've definitely, um, I definitely have taken a much uh, lighter approach to processing, um, mm -hmm. for right or wrong or better for worse. I feel like since probably in the last three to four months, I don't process nearly as much, um, um, which you know that sometimes translates into worse images. To be, let's be honest, I mean. Sometimes yeah. uh, a good photograph is created more created than um, captured in the camera, and um, I. I think the key word is creative, right? There. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a creative pursuit. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's funny. I actually, you know, but I understand what you're saying. You, I feel you know, there's times lie. when you could. I I feel a little bit yeah. less creative uh, personally as the as mm -hmm. the podcast host. Um, Sometimes because I've kind of internalized all these messages from other yeah. artists and that makes mm -hmm. it really difficult to stay true to what I personally want to do, um, which is probably a personality flaw in myself. Um, well, sooner or later, a person, I guess, may yeah. have to, to decide, you <laughs> know, what they're, how they're going to push their photography or what they're going to do with it. You know, you just had said earlier that, uh, you know, if that's your form, grab it and own it and do it. For right? sure. For sure. You know? So for I sure. think that, you know, 
this, I think, ultimately is making you a little more introspective about what you do. And I think you'll ultimately take all this stuff in and apply it in a very effective way, you know? Yeah. That's kind of how I look at it, but maybe No, not. for sure. And I think, um, I think the hardest part for me is that um, in order to do that, I have to have a lot more patience with my progression as an artist. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, that's patience is, is a hard lesson. And a lot of people could really benefit being, from being a little bit more patient, enjoying the ride. Yeah. Right? I, I mean, I feel like as an artist um, I've taken like, you know, three steps forward and six steps back over the last year. And it's, um, but, but, but it's almost like you've taken those six steps back to kind of pursue a different path that has a longer um, arc to it. Um, so sure. I think it's, it's in the end, it'll be positive, but it's definitely caused me a lot of like, really just, um, I've just struggled as an artist, like um, at, being the podcast host, it, it's really forced me to, to look inwards, like you said. And, um, but I think overall mm -hmm. it'll be positive. <laughs> cool. All right. The podcast, all right. It's, it's, it's getting quite a reach. Um, how is, how do you think that it's affected some really important situations? Like maybe the community of landscape photographers first, primarily, how do you think that this has, has this helped our community uh, as landscape photographers connect in some way or share knowledge or is there, have you seen a positive change or a, an effect that your podcast has had on landscape photography in general, at least in the circles that we're involved in? Um, I would, a, a, no, I, make sense? it totally makes sense. Uh, I would say that I've definitely seen an impact on, um, at least one, uh, in one area, um, which is around like photographers thinking about their impact on the environment. Well, that was going to be my next one. My next question is uh, if you've had perhaps uh, an erased awareness of conservation of, uh, public lands and, and or just, just uh, the environment in general. Yeah. So, um, you know, it was never a goal of mine, but it's, you know, it's a passion that I have and, you know, it comes out in a lot of the episodes and, um, I can't help it and can't help talking about it. And, mm -hmm. um, um, it was never a goal of mine to like change the public opinion on that, per that particular topic. However, I was really pleasantly surprised back in February, I had the chance to meet up with, um, uh, David Kingham, um, and Jennifer Renwick who were mm -hmm. on the podcast and uh, do a lot of workshops and uh, David told me um, one of his workshop clients had recently listened to my podcast and they were out in the desert with David and Jennifer. And he, uh, he, he was really concerned about his, like his activity and what it would, what impact it would have on the environment. And it was like, uh, he had, he was asking them a lot of questions about like, how do I, make sure I don't damage the, the, and he directly cited you as the, the, the uh, source for his concern then or yeah. awareness. Yeah, right? exactly. Awesome. And that was like really positive for me to hear that from David and Jennifer. So, um, mm. I, I know that at least, at least on that particular topic, it's having, uh, at least, a a minor impact. Um, and I'd like to say that, um, people are, uh, 
having more thoughtful conversations about photography related and landscape photography related topics, you know, like mm -hmm. post-processing and digital manipulation. And sure. I'm, I'm hopeful that people are through the podcast, um, at least more open to having that dialogue with people, especially people they may not agree with. Right. Um, it's about raising awareness. Yeah. I mean, I'm not necessarily, I mean, it, probably doesn't sound. sharing information, you know, <laughs> it, probably, <laughs> you know? it probably doesn't come across this way on the podcast, but I, I'm not trying to convince people one way or the other. I'm just hoping that people think and talk about these topics uh, sure. more thoroughly. <laughs> well, what was the most surprising aspect of uh, uh, the most surprising thing that is, that this project of yours has affected to you? I mean, something that was probably not expected. Can you think of anything that's more of a, a surprise that you didn't think would happen that's happened? Does that make sense? Um, yeah, with me personally or with um, the community? Well, how about both? Okay. Well, okay. So for me personally, um, I guess I'm surprised at how, how much it's influenced um, my own practices and thought processes around not only um, the environment, but also just post-processing and, um, and being honest about um, the manipulation you do have on mm -hmm. images. I think I was surprised at how, how much it's uh, moved me in that particular direction. Sure. And then in terms of the community, um, I guess I'm a, I'm pleasantly surprised that uh, so many people have come to appreciate the podcast and like it and enjoy it and have even um, taken the time and energy to uh, give me a little bit of their money to keep doing it. So um, cool. I think that's been a very, very nice surprise as well. <laughs> well, good. Well, I was going to ask about that, not really to get into specifics, but um, I'm just wanting to make sure that this is worth your time. You know, does this, do you get enough out of this podcast to justify the effort that you're putting into it? Yeah. I mean, not just, not just financially, but you know, is it all just worth it to you? Cause I know it's a heck of a commitment to you. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, there's definitely multiple layers of um, benefit that I have personally um, from doing this project. I think the, the, the most um, significant uh, benefit that it's had for me personally is that I've um, developed relationships with other people in the community that I never would have had otherwise. Um, yeah. I think that is invaluable. Um, it's hard to put a, a price tag on, on, on that. Um, and then um, secondarily, uh, you know, it's, it raises, people's awareness of, of who I am as a person and as an artist and as a photographer. And that, that can't hurt. Um, nope. And then lastly, I mean, yeah. Even, even bad publicity is good, right? Isn't that what they say? <laughs> yeah, I think that's what Trump thinks. Uh, I mean, that's one of the, that was one of his campaign slogans, I think. Yeah. <laughs> is that right? I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to quote any, pol no. anybody political at all. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, so. Well, and I mean, in terms of a, uh, financial benefits. Um, you know, I didn't, uh, you know, foolishly, I guess I didn't go into this with any financial goals in mind. However, I'm not going to lie. If I didn't hope that this podcast eventually turned into something that could, um, maybe eventually replace 
my need to have a full-time job. I mean, that would be, well, I was, I was going to ask, I was going to ask if ultimately that is, is your uh, ultimate goal is to become full-time as a, uh, a photographer, and an influencer within the industry, or just being involved as a career in photography, you know? You know, it's funny you say if that's a goal or not, and I think this is where I probably struggle the most on a personal level, is that um, I feel like it would be smart of me to say that that is a goal because it would make me focus on that goal and do a lot more – things intentionally to reach that goal. Now, if you're sitting around daydreaming, you think to yourself, man, it'd be nice to be a full-time photographer kind of thing. You know what I mean? It doesn't necessarily have to be a goal, but is it like maybe an aspiration or a dream or something that you'd like to do? Um, if, uh, if, 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 you know, I mean, if you're, you know, if you could jump right into being a successful photographer tomorrow, you know, I, I, you know what I mean? It's like some people just aspire to just do this all the time. I think Is that something that you'd like I to think do? If um, I was in a uh, situation with my family where I wasn't the um, sole, not the sole, but if I wasn't the breadwinner and mm-hmm. uh, my family wasn't as dependent upon my income as they are, absolutely. Mm-hmm. If my wife made a lot more money and was able to support the family more and then, and she's actually working on it. I mean, she, she would like that as well. So yeah, I think well, let's just, it would be cool. You know, I think, I think that, uh, you know, maybe I'm kind of pushing you in, in a direction that you're not really thinking, but I think that you have a situation where if you were to concentrate on it, I think that you'd be, uh, you know, tremendously successful. And I don't think anybody would, you'd have to depend on anybody, but you, the people that admire you, the people that enjoy your work. So I'd like to encourage you to keep going. Well, I, I appreciate that. It's, um, I mean, I was almost forced to do that back in January and it was a very, <laughs> it was very scary for me because, um, it is scary. Trust me, you know, you know, you kind of know what I went through, sure. and, you know, about the time I was your age, maybe a little older, you know? Absolutely. So, no, you know, I, I mean, tr- I, I would love to do that. Uh, you know, well, you'd, you'd also mentioned the, uh, the part that people don't see and how hard it, it is necessarily. I always tell people, well, you've got a job, you're doing things all day long that you hate doing. Wouldn't you rather do and wouldn't you rather do stuff you hate doing for yourself instead? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't, I definitely don't hate doing the podcast. I love every aspect of it. Um, yeah. It's a lot well, of I was fun. talking more like maybe clerical stuff that, you know, yeah. the stuff the artists and photographers hate doing. Right. Like know? answering emails. And... <laughs> yeah, or even invoicing. I don't know why it should be a holiday when I invoice, you know, <laughs> I hate doing it. <laughs> no, I totally get that. But I, I don't know. I, I look at invoicing as like, wow, what an amazing opportunity I have. I'm actually <laughs> sending people a bill to go. pay me for something that I love to do anyway. Um, That's right. Well, how's how's the podcast evolved since you started it? Yeah, so, I mean, it's funny. I saw Kane's comment about uh, just just make sure Matt drinks some beer and he'll drop a bunch of f bombs. Um, yeah, what are you, what are you, what are you sipping on tonight? <laughs> I'm drinking a, I have, so I have a five, I have a kegerator at my house with two taps yeah. and on one yeah. tap I have a homebrew, which is an Imperial stout. 
And on cool. on the other tap, I've got a I've got a uh, I, I I got a blue ribbon from the Oregon State Fair for my home brewed Russian Imperial style. Nice. I just had to throw that in there. Go ahead. That's awesome. And the, <laughs> and then the other one is a it's a Avery Brewing Company, which is out of uh, Boulder, Colorado, and it's uh, yeah. it's called the Reverend. It's a it's a ten percent ABV quad Belgian quad, yep. and it's delicious and. Um, and a couple of a uh, couple of pints of that will definitely get you. You on like your them way. musty old Belgian quads, don't you? I do like Belgians a lot now. Yeah, <laughs> but to answer your original so, yeah. question, why that came up, um, how the podcast has changed. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I first so I, I I loosely based the podcast format off of one of my favorite podcasts, um, which is called uh, Nerdist. And um, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's actually changed names sent to uh, I think it's called Idiot, but um, it's mm. uh, uh, his name's Chris Hardwick and he interviews like a bunch of like celebrities and musicians and stuff. But like they drop f bombs and shit and fuck and everything like all the time. Oh, you know, I was thinking that you've kind of kept this kind of clean. You, you haven't hardly swore at all through this whole. Yeah. Thing. Well, yeah, you got a character. Or what's going on here? Are you trying to be polite or well, what? So after the first couple episodes um, where I was a little bit more free with that language, I got a lot of negative feedback on uh, email and iTunes and Facebook from people saying like that I cuss too much. And so I was like, okay, that's that. I mean, those are the people listening. So I got to respect what they're saying. But at the same time, like sometimes I will drop a, drop a word in there. Sometimes it's your podcast, man. You know, it's your podcast, but (laughs) right. Yeah. But go ahead. Anyway, I, I, we're back to the, (laughs) how how do you think that since you started the uh, podcast, how it's evolved through, through the, well, um, through time. So the, uh, well, I think I've evolved as a, as a host. Um, I've, Mm -hmm. uh, I spent a lot more time researching my guests and and uh, hopefully um, understanding kind of like the topics that they're most interested in discussing. Um, I have, um, through some advice I received, um, totally awesome advice I got from Eric Bennett after we did our podcast together. He actually called me on the phone and gave me some advice. Um, he, he said he had some conversations with other people that had been on the podcast and they love mm-hmm. the podcast, but they thought that um, I tended to uh, try to cover too many topics and I'd cut people mm-hmm. off um, when they were just getting into the topic they really wanted to talk about. So I've tried to spend a little bit more time uh, letting people kind of explore certain topics and talk a little bit more and, um, hopefully that's, hopefully people feel like it's a little bit better since, I don't know, episode 20 ish. I feel like I've been mm-hmm. doing that a little bit better. Um, so it allows, uh, this allows your, uh, whoever you're interviewing to talk about what they're more passionate about, I suppose. That's too, the right? goal. Cause, uh, that would yeah. definitely bring richer conversation and, uh, yeah. but it's harder. Yeah. It's like I said before, when you don't have body language and you don't have, uh, people's faces, sure. it's hard to. Sometimes it's hard to gauge that stuff. So um, it's good that you're able to take a little bit of advice or some input and then apply it to the show and improve it somehow. Absolutely. Yeah. I, 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 first time I met Eric, he was sitting behind a rock in a Creek, you know, and I kind of come down the Creek and I turn a corner and here's this guy. He's got long hair and he's sitting in a Creek and he's fiddling with his, 
camera and stuff. And it was almost like I went, Oh, I, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, I didn't expect, you know, it's like, here he was, it was awesome. You know, and since then we've been friends. It's just really good. We kind of connected that day, That's awesome. but yeah, well, he's a good guy. He's intuitive. So I'm glad he gave you some good advice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Did you have any, uh, episodes that were probably, uh, noteworthy or, uh, some that you were more, you know, were more enjoyable, enjoyable for you or any kind of exchanges that kind of stood out in your mind that, uh, you know, that were something that you can think of that are notable and through this whole thing that you oh, can think I, of. Is that, is that a question? I mean, yes? not to play favorites, right. But, uh, no, 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 of course def- not. Cause you played favorites by adding us, having us on your podcast. So, you know, so yeah, go no, for I've it. I've definitely man. had some episodes that, uh, were more memorable than others. Um, not to say that the the guests themselves weren't memorable, but uh, you know, just the content that we touched on and where the conversation went, it's kind of stuck with me. Um, and I'm just gonna go in order because because uh, I'm gonna do that. Um, so I would say like the the first episode where I really felt like a very um, it was just a great conversation and uh, I learned a lot was with Aaron Babnick. Um, mm-hmm. It was just a great conversation. Um, I've learned a ton with her, and I've never spoke with her face-to-face. Yeah. Um, I would say the next one is probably Paul Ziska. Um, I really – I mean, it helps that, like, I've been a huge fan of his for, like, so many years and then got to have him on the podcast. And then, like – but the podcast was, like, super down-to-earth, and the conversation yeah. went in a direction I didn't expect it to, and I just really enjoyed that down-to-earth conversation. Yeah. Um I really enjoyed spending time with Hillary younger just because she's like, I feel like she's like a really old soul, you know, like, um, I enjoy her, her, her and I got some stories. So (laughs) you, you probably like her accent. Oh, I mean, who doesn't like that? Right. (laughs) And, uh, I I should have talked to you before you talked to her. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I've shot with her a couple of times. We got some funny stories to tell. So go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Um, yeah, she's cool. I really enjoyed my conversation with Guy Tal, but I mean, gosh, it's Guy Tal. So yeah. like you expect that I think to, of Guy Tal, I think of wisdom or something, you know? Yeah. The dude is just like oozing philosophy and right. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, obviously I really enjoyed my interview with Kane because, uh, he's a good friend of mine and we did it in person and, um, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> I can't wait to meet him. Oh, dude, he he is one of the coolest guys um, ever. I I love that guy. Um, I really, um, it was it was memorable for a different reason. Um, Alexander Deshum, uh he doesn't speak English as a first language, and um, right. but I feel like we covered a lot of territory in the podcast, and you made uh, well, you did well, yeah. And but it was really hard. Cause, yeah. uh, cause you know, he doesn't speak English. And so it was just sure. really challenging. Um, I loved it. and then Alex nail, like he just blew my mind. Um, he's very well spoken yeah. and thoughtful and I really enjoyed talking. I'd love, I'd like to meet him someday. Me too. Um, I really loved my conversation with Mark Handy. Um, in fact, we spent 45 minutes, uh, on our second episode for Patreon. So if you haven't heard that one, like it's pretty, it was just super candid and it was all about comp composites, <laughs> oh, okay. uh, but we just, uh, it was a lot of fun. 
Um, mm-hmm. And then I really enjoyed um, my conversations with both Eric Stensland and Sarah Marino and Ron uh, Cascarosa because we did them in person. And Eric is just like one of the most like he's like Yoda. He's uh, he's just like super like he's like Jedi Master, just amazing to talk so, to. You've talked to so many people that I admire <laughs> from afar. You know, it's so cool. Yeah, and then the, and then lastly, probably my most my most favorite recent episodes that I had was with Colleen uh, Minix Perry. Um, she just uh, I don't know. She just has this amazing perspective on photography that uh, um, I couldn't help but take in and like make make a little make it just a little bit part of my own self so i really like that one too cool all right well we're getting we're getting close here i don't know how much time (laughs) we got here but i got a couple more questions here all right go for it um if you could influence the community to evolve to become more positive supportive or collaborative what are the three things that you would like to see landscape photographers do does that make sense it does um, and it's actually one of the um, underlying uh, motivations for the podcast um, in general, because um, I want it to be a vehicle for that. Uh, you know, I feel like as a whole, as a community, we're a lot smaller than than people think, you know, like there's probably like one degree of separation between most of us. Um, and I, I feel like... Um, you know, I recently heard is actually on the refrigerator of a friend of mine's at a friend of mine's house from her nine-year-old son, <laughs> and it's like super awesome words of wisdom. And I think from the mouths of babes. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and uh, I think that if us as landscape photographers could could try to stick to this, because I know I struggle sticking to this personally, uh, mm-hmm. but I think if we all tried to, it would be like it would make huge transformations. And it's before you uh, do something or engage with the community on social media or answer a question somebody has or critique someone's work, you ask yourself three questions. Is it kind? Is it true? Is it helpful? That's it. I feel like, I feel like if, you could answer, if you could answer yes to those three things before you engage, um, everyone is going to benefit in some way. Right, I'm going to tattoo on the back of my hand. <laughs> and <laughs> I will be the to... first to admit that I have not lived up to that in my life. So, well, you know, I I understand, but a person evolves sooner or later. They understand what's, uh, you know, how how much, I mean, how much more leeway you get with kindness. I mean, how much more you get back, I should say, when you throw kindness out there. I, it's it's a concept that's hard to, you know, to explain to somebody. It's something you really have to experience. And in time, as time goes by, I completely understand what you're saying. Is that it just kind of manifests itself in 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 equal manner? You know, I don't. Well, if you know what I mean. I guess what happens to me personally is like I get so passionate about a topic that I forget to ask those three yeah. questions before I open my mouth. Um, right. and I mean, I can think of a specific example from back in, I don't know, like February or something or January where, uh, yeah. like I got into a pretty publicly heated exchange between another photographer, Daniel Greenwood, um, <laughs> yeah. about digital manipulation and honesty. Yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah. and, um, you know, my actions weren't, uh, yeah. didn't always live up to those three mantras and 
I learned and, from that experience, and um, yeah. I I still stand by most of the things I said in in principle. Sure, but the yeah. the way in which I approached the situation probably could have been better. Right. Yeah. More kind. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're saying though. It's about uh, um, you know, what motivates you to to do that. You know, I really think it's it's the source of motivation. Right. You know? Right. Uh, you know, I, I tell you what, it, I'm not I'm not a world famous photographer, but I got a heck of a following of a lot of people that are just really people that really would like to become better at photography. You sure. know, so they come to they come to me for advice, and they want to they want to you know know how to improve what they're doing. So that the last thing I want to do is discourage them. You know. And so to be able to approach any kind of advice or critique that I give with that criteria is perfect. Yeah, it's beautiful. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, so if uh, what would be the most important legacy that a landscape photographer can leave leave for future generations? You know, mm. in other words, after they're all said and done and they've done their work, what? What's the most important thing that you think that their work should do to speak to future generations? Yeah, I think it's, um, it's Is that kind of oblique. Nope, you're good. Or... I'm good. Uh, I think it's an interrelated marriage of two concepts. Um, the first of which being, um, to have a greater, more holistic and, um, deeper spiritual connection to the places that we photograph and appreciate. Um, Mm-hmm. And ob- not so superficial. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that's the motivation behind why a lot of us do this is that we're in these amazing places, and and uh, mm-hmm. and we want other people to to uh, to have that experience through our images, right? Um, mm, I see. But I think it can go a little bit deeper than that. In that, um, I feel like you can also weave in this kind of second idea, where you instill in others. Um, a deeper understanding and um, appreciation um, of those places and um, and be inspired to do something more to protect and preserve and appreciate those places, um, which Fantastic. can manifest in a lot of different ways, right? It can be through um, being, uh, being involved politically. It can be through getting involved locally with um, maybe like a trail building uh, nonprofit. It could be through, um, you know, just donating money to a, to a cause that promotes the ideas and ideals that, that you feel align with how you feel about those places. Um, sure. Or it, tell you what, the more you're, the more you're involved with this, these places, the more you feel like you have some sort of a, um, a investment in them somehow. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, I was listening to Nick Payton. And who else other than photographers? Oh, right? for sure. It's not just photographers. I, I want yeah. it for everyone. In fact, I think that's why. But, but but photographers to do it is what I meant. I mean, they're there and they're sharing it with the world. You know, you right. know? So they're the, they're the perfect witnesses of the, you know, to spread this testimony. Yeah, or whatever, we're you we're know? stewards. We're, we're ambassadors yeah. of these places we're, and, and um, it's funny because I feel like um, a lot of the things that we see in Congress and with uh, the, the current administration, like it, love it or leave it, mm-hmm. like I feel like 
if they have been actually gone to these places and spent time there and understood kind of the things that we as photographers see and experience, they may, they may think twice about different policies and they might think twice about Mm -hmm. um, trying to think up of a more balanced approach to how we um, use our land, but also preserve our land. I think well, if you're if you're removed from it, I exactly see your point. You're removed from it, you have no awareness of it. So. Yeah, exactly. Cool, right on. All right, we're coming close here, but I got a couple more here. I really got to ask you. These are a little bit more lighthearted. Okay. You got any kind of huge fails in the field? You know, like a <laughs> tin on fire, or forgot your toilet paper, you got struck by lightning, or or uh, anything like that? Oh man. Uh, I mean. When it comes to <laughs> epic fails like that, um, I well, mean, those are just. <laughs> I mean, I def. I mean, Kane was with me last fall when, uh, when I got my Subaru Forester stuck on the shoulder of a dirt road because I pulled over too far and my car sunk down into the shoulder and almost fell into a, a ditch and we had to get it. <laughs> Kane had to give me a ride to the nearest town, which was like an hour away, and we had to call a tow truck. And then he had to give me a ride me back to my car. Yeah, that was an epic fail. Um, now that one there you mentioned to me last time, that's probably got to be the best of the biggest one, right? Yeah, I mean, non-photo speaking for sure. I probably have more epic fails when it comes to like camera error. Like, oh, you know, like no. – uh, Having- yeah, but those are no fun because we've all made those. <laughs> <laughs> right, like uh, leaving your lens cap, lens cap on or uh, or like – Leaving your – you're taking your cards out or, and then leaving them out and they're showing up and, and hiking five miles and not having your memory cards. Or, oh, yeah. You know, I, we, I think we've all done that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. All right. Now, how about a bucket list? You got like three places that you really want to go to photograph. What are the three places that you really would like to go? So – for sure, at the top of that list for me is um, Patagonia. But, uh, I mean, more than, like, just Fitzroy from the highway, like, I want to go, like, I don't know if you've seen that Alexander Deschamps movie where he goes, like, super deep into the into the wilderness and, like, has, like, crazy windy conditions and, like, nature just whips his ass, but he gets amazing footage of it. Oh, yeah. that, that's, no, I haven't. I'll go look for it. That's the experience. But I've heard some stories from other photographers about some of those experiences down yeah, there. Yeah, I want to go on like a two-week backpacking trip um, either there or like um, Cordillera Waiwash, which is in Peru, I think. Um, my friend Michael Bellino went there last year. He actually invited me, and I didn't have enough time off from work to go, which I feel so stupid for not being able to go. <laughs> Uh, work. I know what you mean. <laughs> and then, um, I definitely, uh, would love to spend some time in the, uh, um, the mountains of Norway. Um, you know, oh. I've like, like it or not, I've been inspired by some of Max Rives work. Um, even mm-hmm. though like, I think there's a lot of digital manipulation in his photographs and, yeah, but he's at the location, and you know, he shows these locations. The location itself looks pretty amazing. Um, and I would love yeah. to go kind of have my own interpretation of that location with my camera. Sure. So um, I, I think those are probably the three, the three places I'd love to go. They sound doable. 
Yeah. They sound doable to me. I think you'll get there. Cool. All right, man. It's been an hour. Yeah. Well played, Jeez, sir. it went by fast, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It goes fast, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> cool, so, man. So, uh, all right, man. Well, I think that's about it. I mean, I could I could probably sit here and talk to you all night long. I know. That's the that's the the, the fun part about this project is I, know, like, right? I don't really want to say let's stop, but I have to stop. <laughs> well, I just want to encourage everybody that's listening to this right now to go and uh, go to uh, Matt's uh, website, sign up to the you know for the podcast on all of his social media, but more important, go to his Patreon page, sign up for his Patreon page, even if it's just a dollar or five bucks a month. Five bucks a month, man, will give you some bonus material from all these other photographers, so it's well worth it. Oh. And it support it supports a good man in a quest to do good. So thanks, dude. I appreciate that. And uh, maybe uh, hopefully we can do a little bit uh, bonus content after this for those people. I'm counting on it, man. <laughs> All right, cool. Thanks, man. All right, brother. Take care. I'm thank and thanks also for doing this. I really appreciate it, uh, and I feel honored to be able to be the one to do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks to Gary for taking the time to do this. Uh, it was a lot of fun, so thanks so much, man. Uh, to find out more about Gary and see more of his work, visit gary-randall.com. You'll find links to topics we discussed and more in the show notes on my blog at mattpainphotography.com. And uh, you can support us by writing a review about the podcast in the iTunes store. As people search for podcasts to listen to, it helps others discover the podcast. Thanks to Pop for their five-star review. Thank you. You can also support the show by making a contribution through Patreon. For as little as $1 a month, you can help pay for the production costs of the podcast. And uh, $5 a month and more, you get uh, access to really cool stuff. Bonus episodes and some surprises that I like to send out from time to time. Um, thanks to our newest patron, uh, Prajit Ravindran. Thank you so much. Uh, if anyone wants to drop me a line about the podcast, either suggestions or ideas, please reach out to me via my website at mattpaintphotography.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>